Hey, Muge. Hey. We're back as tape. You might have thought we were dead, but we're trying to stay back and do regular episodes. I think uh, our listeners would appreciate that. <laughs> so our, our goal right now is we want to try to release at least one episode a month, hopefully more. But in order to do that um, and in order to have the resources we need to devote the time to it and to have the help that we need to make that happen, we're asking if you might be able to, to help us, dear listener. Yes. So we started a Patreon and the goal is that hopefully, if you have the means, you could chip in $5 a month or $10 a month or more. And in return, we'll send you some goodies, be it early access to episodes or extra questions and answers that we'd have room for in the full interview or any other ideas that you have for us. Yeah, we'd, we'd love for you to sign up at patreon.com slash tape radio. And we know that there's like a lot of worthy causes to support right now. Um, if you want uh, tape to be a monthly thing and uh, you're able to to pitch in a little bit, we'd be really, really grateful. So speaking of episodes, Muj, we got a new episode now. Um, who'd you talk to? I talked to Wendy Zuckerman. She's the host of Science Versus. We talk about like how she got into radio and starting her own show and getting an email from a, at the time, not so well-known company called Gimlet Media asking if she's interested in joining their team and how to talk to scientists and report it on science and so, so, so many other things. But caveat, this episode was recorded back before COVID, so we don't touch on that at all. Um, this was actually recorded in December of 2017, so it's been a couple of years. And it was a live event at... WNYC in New York at the Green Space. Here is Mooj talking to Wendy Zuckerman. Please turn it to our Patreon. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. That's what I want. Hello. Hello. Before we get started, I just want to know what your day was like. So you, you just came from Gimlet Studios. Yeah. Can you yes, talk about that? What, what are you working on? Monday's your release day? No, Thursday's our release day. Okay. Monday's a big day. We try and like put the, the whole show, one version of it together in a day. And then it get. I mean, after all, all the research and all the interviews, but it gets kind of ripped apart today, put back together. So... My colleagues are still working and I'll probably have to go back after this. Um, oh, wow. So we put it back together and then everyone listens again, rips it apart again, and the process continues until Thursday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's my head right now. <laughs> and the episode is chiropractors that's coming out. So do you find yourself like, now that you it's your show, do you find yourself having to be like a cheerleader and be like, hey, staff, we got to do this? Like, Oh, uh, the amount yeah. of times today we were just writing the script and I was like, come on, guys making dumb jokes and everyone's like we see through you it's ep 10 season three mm-hmm. um yeah so it yeah it's, it's yeah, i'm exhausted I'm yeah. ex- but yeah. I, it's exciting to yeah. be here yeah cool um so basically i think if you're a journalist you have you're a very curious person and if you're a scientist you're a very curious person so if you marry the two together you get you get you you, you get wendy so basically where i want to start is like where does your curiosity come from Oh, um, so I went to study at, 
I started studying biomedical science at uni um, and I don't know why, but I think the mission to cure cancer was in there somewhere. Um, it was one of those, didn't know what you wanted did, to study. Did you know anyone who had cancer or you just like, no, no I want to save was, the world? It was just like a lofty goal and politics seemed like a bit of a bore. You know, it's one of those, you're going to become a war journalist, you're going to cure cancer. It's, I don't know. Um, and then realized that at uni, you're taught, you've just got to memorize a bunch of science. This is how the kidney works. This is how the liver works. Uh, and it just, it just wasn't for me, just all this memory. And I, I wanted to be debating and asking questions and like not having clear answers. And so I went to study law at the same time, um, which did all those things. But then it just turned me into this like horrible person who was just constantly finding flaws in things like I was that annoying friend who people would say things it was like constantly reading a contract in my head and I thought oh gosh like if I go on this path and become a lawyer I'm gonna turn into a monster uh so I think my job kind of marries the two it's it's like my love of science and my want to be critical and not be a monster mm -hmm. But that love of science, like, where did it come from? Was it like there was a news story that was like big in the day, like the space shuttle news story? Or was it like watching Jurassic Park? Was it like based in film? Or yeah, where, where did it, or like playing with bugs or? <laughs> I think maybe it was, I remember when we were learning about something at uni and I think it was something about inflammation. It's so <laughs> Did you have an inflammation at the time? <laughs> Maybe. I think I was like stung by a mozzie okay, that day so, yeah, or we'll something. Call it that, yeah. And so <laughs> and and I looked at my arm and it had this red welt on it. And on the board they were describing what was going on in the inflammation process. And I remember thinking, Oh wow. Like that it was it was a bit of a lightning moment of me for me. Um but there wasn't this beautiful childhood, you know, watching The Lion King and thinking, can we really make Mufasa talk? You know, there was no <laughs> moment. But, but your parents, I mean, like your, your parents are both scientists, so there's some of that, right? Yeah, I think there was always a, a real appreciation for science. Um, yeah, they're both academics, both scientists at one point, probably thought everyone. Mm -hmm was a scientist. I remember telling my friend in primary school, my parents are at uni and she said, still? And I was like, is that bad? Yeah. <laughs> and then so, okay, so you decide you wanna do science journalism instead of going to the law field. And what, what, what was the next step that you took? Was it like more, more studying or, or, or yeah, like, you know, like your first internship in the, in the science reporting world? I just started writing stuff. So I, and actually I didn't even, Necessarily, I'm so, it's so, it's one of those boring, yeah. terribly boring stories <laughs> of I fell into it. Um, but I, I did start, although I like shut on war journalists, like I did at one point want to be a war journalist. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would pitch these political stories uh, to newspapers and I was 18 and also had no knowledge. So it would just be these hot takes in a, in a world where when I was 18, hot takes were not allowed. <laughs> Those were the good old days. And so obviously, right, and so obviously the editors just thought, who is this person? No, and then I would start pitching science stories and I could do that and they wanted those stories and they started publishing them and then I realised that science was actually this, like, really great place to be able to tell interesting stories um, 
and in ways that I, I hadn't, when I was learning at university, nothing was told as a story. It was just like, this is how it is. But then when I started writing, I realized, oh, there's all these, these people and these scientists behind it and these amazing discoveries and this struggle. And I think that's when I kind of like fell in love with science journalism and realized I definitely didn't want to do politics or war journalism. Gotcha. So you started, you started from a print, like you were a print reporter. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and I would just, so I just print, I just um, would pitch these stories to the, the newspapers, like the Australian newspapers and started getting things published. And then when I finished university, I got this offer to be at this very like fancy corporate law firm um, and just took the year off to try and, and make a go of science journalism, doing things like, is bread that bad for you? Um, so I sold my soul uh, and paid the rent. Uh, and then at the end of the year, got a job at New Scientist magazine. And um, the rest is history. Cool. Cool. And then so how did you discover radio? How did you get into radio? Oh, so then from so I was at New Scientist for a couple of years and then moved to the ABC, um, which is kind of like your it's kind of like the BBC. So it has TV, radio and print. And then I just it's just the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Yeah. And then just when you're there, you just get an opportunity to... I, I mean, I guess I made an opportunity for myself to move around. I started... You make a lot of opportunities for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of got to, right? Don't you? As a, as a journalist, you, you know, constantly, what's going on here? What's mm -hmm. going on here? So yeah. I, I, I guess I just like, I started in TV doing research. It was probably born of the fact I was never that satisfied at a particular job. I see. And so I was at this doing research for the science TV show there and then... You know, it wasn't that. It wasn't really my jam. And so I was trying to look for things elsewhere. Found the radio, the team who were doing radio. And then through sort of weird coincidence, like st started doing a bunch of interviews about, you know, scientific discoveries whenever local radio mm -hmm. needed something, you know, some big space discovery or a weird animal was found. Um, <laughs> they'd just start calling me to say, well, when do you want to talk about it? And I was very excited, yeah. very like Steve Irwin. <laughs> Hey, you know, oh, they just found this. And they're like, this, this chick's excited about science. Bring her on again. Um, what, do you remember a weird animal that you, that you came across? <laughs> it, was always, it, was always, it was always like sex, space, amazing new animal discovery. That was, that was the that was beat. beat. That was my beat, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But the show, the show, the podcast show that you like started listening to, like I, I read that one of the, your earliest podcasts, discoveries which I guess is separate from radio but also similar was This American Life and then you started listening to that and then you started listening to Radio Lab and was there a story from those early days that like really made you want to sink your teeth into radio and feel like this is my community I found my place instead of hopping around from TV to print to what have you I think I um when I was listening to Tim Howard's piece on rabies in Radio yeah. Lab I don't know if you guys have yeah. heard that that's um, a good piece it was it was amazing. Yeah. It was a real. It was just this like mind blowing storytelling of science and how it um, how it unravels and its limitations and yeah. I remember I was I like remember the exact moment I was visiting my dad who lives in Hong Kong and I was like going for a run and it was I was so sweaty I was running this place I shouldn't have been running in and all I could think of was this this person suffering from rabies and what was gonna happen and I, yeah I think that it was that was definitely like a light light switching moment mm -hmm. um so for me like the way my mind works it's like I I heard that 
story and I've heard other radio lab stories and it's like, well, there's a science podcast. They have it covered. I'm like, well, you know, like they're, they're done, but like your mind doesn't work that way. You were like, what I, what at one point you're like, I want to make a science podcast. Like they're, they're doing it, but I could do it in my own way. I just have this tendency to be like, this thing exists. So like, can't, can't do anything about that. <laughs> but with you, you know, like instead of trying to work for them, or maybe you did try to work for radio lab, but like, how did you, how did you come to make the show that you work on now that you host science versus it wasn't so it's funny i think because in australia particularly so when i started the show four years ago there wasn't a culture at all of podcasting we used to podcast out the radio shows but it was effectively you just cut the radio show and you put it online there wasn't any like special special podcasting unit there wasn't and there wasn't a culture of it or um or this i guess like you you come to america and or we come to New York. Who are we kidding? <laughs> and there's this real like, you know, there's a real like pillar of podcasting, and there's you know people know it. There's New Yorker cartoons about it, and the audacity of creating another science podcast when there's Radio Lab like that is a concept. But in Australia, it was just like someone said, "We're starting a podcasting unit," you know. You got any ideas? And I was like, sure, I do. You know, because there wasn't this big altar, um, which was really nice. And then um, it was just very freeing and maybe naive as well. Yeah. And and the idea is a great idea. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, each episode you tackle a different subject and you pit it against science. So, for example, guns or ghosts or the G spot or what have you. Um, and and but it's not an idea that everyone comes up like I, was there was there something that you uh was there something that you i don't know i mean if you were to ask some a young radio producer nowadays like hey pitch me a podcast i'd be like i don't know, i want to go on the street and talk to issues of the day like talk to homeless I want the people mic to be like, off <laughs> exactly so like but it is a it's a well i don't know were, were you consuming things along those lines or was it just like obvious like duh why would i not want to like there's fads and which something that you've been covering and then there's science and was it just like a like divine idea or was it something that you were consuming and you kind of adapted it from a book or a film or a combination of things so the the story um, was that you know the, i think the same week that caitlin sorry who's my senior producer now had asked me to pitch a show mm -hmm. about science you know gwyneth paltrow had suggested that women steam clean their vaginas um, and so it was, and she was new, like that was like a new pivot for her. Now it's like another day, another vagina she wants to steam clean. But back then this was big. And, um, and so that, and so the idea immediately came, which was like science versus Gwyneth Paltrow and which has now become very fruitful. And so, and the show hasn't changed since, who are we kidding? And so that was that was the, the the idea from the beginning. And I think I, like I've always really enjoyed questioning people's ideas and and you know when people say oh that that's true, I've always wondered oh is it really true? <laughs> um, so it seemed like a natural progression. Mm -hmm. And then just tell me what it was like. I mean, you had you had um, two editors. Was it your full time gig or was it part time? Or what was it was part time. So we we did it. Um, I did it. Uh, I was officially given three days a week to do it, and mm -hmm. then it just it just took over my whole life. Um, as it does, it was, that's what I mean by so naive. Yeah. I remember when I was asked, you know, they said, "Oh, how, you know, how much money do you think you're going to need?" And I was like, "Not much." You know, it was uh, 
was just a mess. So I was like underpaid, overworked, um, uh, which is which is why when the season was over and there was no there was no promise of a job at least I mean I was doing other stuff at the ABC but there was no promise that this was ever going to be a job in fact because the idea of podcasting was so new you I couldn't have even dreamed that you could make a career out of podcasting which like out of New York is still like that is still very true I was at Thanksgiving dinner and when someone said what do you do and I was like oh I'm I'm in podcasting and they were like Ah, oh, but like, what do you do? And I was like, that's the correct response. This is like last year. This is, this is yeah. no, this is like a week ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. This past. Yeah. They were like, and I was like, no, that's full time. And she was like, all right. <laughs> I think got the like, got the good on you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Was was there? I who like, what was your guiding star at that point? Where you're overworked. There was no like light at the end of the tunnel. Like what? What kind of what kind of kept you going? Like, were you looking? Were you like, did you really have that at the time? Did you have the idea of like, oh, I'm gonna come to America and be part of a podcast network? Like, what what oh, was no. it that, or or was the work just so much fun <laughs> that you were just like, I'm gonna I'm gonna just I like the work, so I'm gonna keep doing the work. It was um, it was that it was that the, the idea of coming to America mm -hmm. was not it was not even in my. It was, I know yeah. like that was I, I didn't, so far from my mind. Um, I think the the audience numbers were, were really good. So lots of people were listening beyond my expectations at all. I don't even, the beautiful thing about it is I didn't even have expectations. Mm -hmm. you, you really miss that because you come to New York and it's like the city of expectations <laughs> that are destined to ultimately let like let you down yeah but back then <laughs> kind of right you know everyone's like climbing this endless ladder uh you just can't win but back when i was making it i just had these like no expectations um and the audience numbers were, were quite big and so it was like this real it was it was really exciting because i was um people wanted to hear it and and so that was that was amazing to me and also it was the first time that i was doing a job that i I really loved it was it was like the first time I was doing something that was mine and my voice entirely uh, rather than you know writing for someone else or writing for a magazine where you still have to fit it in their voice and I knew I had to make a real go of it because that was that was my like shot um, and then when I got the email from Gimlet maybe a week after the last episode dropped I was so exhausted. I didn't even read the email. I didn't even I didn't even know what it was at the time. I was getting like a few emails, like fan emails, which I'd never gotten before. Um, but clearly I'd hit the point where I was like, I'll read that fan email later. <laughs> but clearly I had, because I was like, oh, what was that? And then I remembered, I remember even coming to work because then I was doing this other job that wasn't that exciting at the ABC. And I remember thinking, what was that email? Oh, I should probably check that and then found it and then it was this Gimlet Media was interested in me and I was just like, who are they? And then I remembered that I'd heard this- Did you think it was a scam? <laughs> no, but I, I didn't know what to think. And it was only when I then Googled and realized that this American Life episode where Alex it was the very first- the Startup episode. Start they aired on This American Life, yeah. Exactly, yeah. and mm -hmm. the, the, you know, when I, yeah, Alex talks about the shoes that he's gonna wear with Nazanin, and um, and then I remember that, and I was like, oh my God, I guess that became a thing, and I guess they're emailing me, and <laughs> it was just like, and that was, yeah. 
because the, the email when it came to you it was before the episode where they're like we're reaching out and building a network or whatever or like we're successful or whatever yeah. it might have i wasn't yeah. Li- yeah, i yeah, wasn't yeah. listening so yeah. i didn't know because <laughs> i was so i was so focused on making this show i was doing nothing else um you know which is horrible work-life balance but i, I had no idea what they were up to i was so and then i quickly found out yes <laughs> so with so i feel like part of the show exists as it did at ABC and it's the same name and everything so I guess my conclusion is that you own the rights I did and that's through this really weird um that was just a stroke of were you like I'm gonna put on my lawyer hat and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> I wish and you know what I think <laughs> it's now called at the ABC doing a Wendy um, <laughs> because it was so uh, right, because yeah, um, it was. But it was in truth, it was absolute dumb luck. Both because the podcasting scene was so new. Like in TV, they've got they're like a well-oiled machine. You've got they're an idea, you up. sign a contract, it's theirs. But at the podcasting unit was so like ragtag. They sent me this one contract that spelt my name wrong, that like needed me to get a million dollars insurance. And I was like, oh, I don't really want to sign this. And then like nothing else was done. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then because of various other things, it was, um, you know, maybe I did one, one cheeky smart thing, but otherwise complete what's, what's dumb the one luck. cheeky smart thing? Um, I had thought something, a, again, just crazy dumb luck. A um, a director of documentaries who I really, really admire heard the pilot of Science Versus and said, I think you should turn this into a television show. And so I had sent an email saying, can I have the rights to turn this into TV? And they were like, sure. <laughs> it was effectively. <laughs> and I was like, great. And then that was that. And then all of a sudden it was like six months later that email became and the lack of contract became the thing that gave me the rights to then come to the United States. And when we, so then like when Gimlet called and then I was like, yeah, and I happen to have the rights and, you know, I was playing it cool and everything. And then when finally they said, okay, well, you know, we're just going to need that documentation that you've got the rights. guess this email isn't going to do it. Um, So I had to hire a lawyer. And then I remember this one email this one lawyered up conversation where like Gimlet had their lawyers, I had my lawyer, and then they just said over the very like super like American New York lawyers, you know, and they were like, so just to be clear, we're getting this in writing, aren't we? And then, and me and the other ones, like our lawyer, we're like, now we're official. We're like, no, what do you think? We're going to send it on a kangaroo. Like, we know how to do this. We just didn't do it properly this time. And they were like, sure, okay, great, great. <laughs> I feel like when you're being acquired, that's when you have the most power. So what what did you ask for? What Um, what did you want? uh, An apartment overlooking Central Park. Oh, no, because I was so, it was, I mean, I just came from this situation that was, um, there was no promise of future work. Everything was so unstable. The unit was just developing itself. And it has changed, I think, and they're producing such beautiful work, the ABC now. But at the time, it it was really unclear what my, prospects were there and then for this New York company to come in you know and offer you know a salary that I could that could feed myself um, that I could use uh, I was I was just like stunned and I remember I sent it to my brother who then um who he then like gave me some pointers 
He was like, no, come in, come in with this and that and this and that. And I was like, yeah, that's really good. That's really good. And then I was speaking to Matt Lieber and I was like, no, I sent them. I just like sent them. I was like, I'll need this in all these dot points. I don't even remember what they were. And Matt Lieber just gets me on the phone. And he's like, yeah, so just, just why did you want these things? And I crumbled immediately and I just said, oh, because my brother said I should ask for them. <laughs> I'm just going to pause the show for a second to remind you that if you've been enjoying tape for all these years and are able to, please support us at patreon.com slash tape radio. We have a lot of exciting rewards, anything from questions and answers that ended up on the cutting room floor to a newsletter to transcripts to early access to episodes to a monthly AMA. So if you can donate, please visit patreon.com slash tape radio and now back to my interview with wendy i'm just going to change gears a little bit and just want to make talk about like the making of the show um and how do you avoid like oversimplifying science because on your show you you reference like so many studies and 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 i feel like that's how do you avoid that problem of just being like okay there's all these studies there's all the science out there and it's very complicated and nuanced and how and you have like half an hour to an hour to explain it all like how how do you how do you make sure you're not oversimplifying the science of it all uh so we read a read a lot of papers mm -hmm. and then and the ones that get in there are you know maybe i don't know some small proportion um for for me my process is so i just like read a bunch and then a consensus slowly forms so mm -hmm. studies will say this and that and you know particularly diet studies or you, you know the uh, next episode coming out about chiropractors you know you can read a study here and there you know getting your back cracked really helps for back pain no it doesn't blah 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 blah. but you read enough studies you read enough reviews and a consensus does form and there's this point when I'm researching where I'm like okay I've read this before I've read this before and it's like now I know I can stop and I can start writing and then from that, once you know where the scientific consensus is, and sometimes it is difficult, and then we reach out to other scientists for um, for birth control. I don't I don't even know how many gynecologists and other experts Shruti Ravindran reached out to. Um, but you ask, you know, is is this right? Are we on the right track? What's going on? And then when they all start saying pretty much the same thing, then you follow that thread, and then you can just explain that, and then you might use one very typical study to tell that story so people then complain and they're like oh that's just one study that's the head that's my that's the angry twitter head, like voice <laughs> it's just one study um but we know that it's it's symbolic of the entire body of research so that's how we try to avoid that yeah so i want to play a clip but before i do that um i want to set it up so this is from the guns episode and you didn't pick the j-spot no <laughs> We're gonna Interesting. we're gonna skip over that. <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe just set up the episode. So you did an episode, science versus guns, and it was a two-parter. That's right. And what, what were you trying to tackle in that episode? Um, are, are gun, do guns make us safer or less safe? Uh, which to everyone who you ask, the answer they say is duh, and then the next question is different. Like the next statement is different. <laughs> So it's like, duh, of course they make you safer. Duh, of course they make you less safe, which suggests it's a good topic for science versus. Um, but that was ultimately the, the, the question. So if you have 
guns in a community, do, do they make you safe or not safe? Uh, this clip is basically from the beginning of that episode. And uh, it, 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 it illustrates more so your writing and your humor and your use of puns. So we'll, we'll roll that clip, uh, the first clip. Today, we're talking science. Let's get into it. Bullet point number one, self-defence. Best estimates suggest there are more than 300 million guns in the US right now, a number that has been slowly rising. And I say best estimates because no one really knows. Guns aren't traced very effectively around the states. Still, a recent Pew survey... Pew, pew survey suggests that 34% of US homes have guns in them. And the main reason Americans buy guns, according to the Pew survey, is to defend themselves and their property. So, okay, so not only do you make the joke once, you make the joke (laughs) twice. (laughs) My friend, who's also... There's also a radio maker, Joel Werner, in Australia, was visiting me and he was like, I've been listening to your show. And he's like, you go so far. And then and I'm like, God, she's really putting it on for the American audience. And then he said, but then I see you and you really are like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's true. And I'm just so um, curious. First of all, like, I'm just curious about you being that way in real life. So, like, forget the radio aspect of it, of, like, why included in radio and the 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 useful tactic of it all but yeah. but just how did yeah how did, <laughs> why 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 where does that start? is that australian humor <laughs> you're like the first australian that i'm really getting to know so maybe maybe it's that maybe it's i don't know i just love a good pun yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. it is it is me pushing the yeah. joke too far i think i must get it from my dad i remember so my dad used to have these jokes where he would pretend he didn't understand what was going on and as a child you get so frustrated like I don't know what would be an example I don't know we'd be at this CD store CD store and um and I was like I want to buy this one and he was like what about this one I was like but I want to buy this one and he's like this one looks good and it would just go on forever until I got so angry and he just enjoyed it so much and it was like 20 years later that it was like mind I was like you knew what you were doing and it was just a joke for you and then and now that I'm here I'm like yeah that's how my brain works as well yeah yeah so friends get angry and I'm like this is good this is a good joke this is and in terms of radio I mean like um one thing that you talk about that's like good advice is like if you're gonna be a host like you, you need to be yourself like that's that's and hopefully people like it and, and but you can't especially in radio because people kind of pick up on fakeness and I could do that but it but in a private one-on-one like if I was in a studio or what have you like I could do it one-on-one with a guest but if I'm writing a script and then I'm sharing it with my team I just like self-censor myself so does that does that not factor in like oh Alex Bloomberg is going to read this and he's going to think I'm a child or whatever or I'm too silly or I'm too this or that does that that self-censorship has gone out the window and then you're like I'm just going to be fully me uh, no, there must have been some self set. I remember having a chat with Alex about fart jokes. Or Alex Bloomberg, your boss. Alex Bloomberg, my boss. Of Gimlet, co-founder of Gimlet. Co-founder Media. of Gimlet Media. Um, and it was in the early days 
and I think we were talking about he I think maybe he had done some presentation to Gimlet when it was just really little about telling a story in your own voice so maybe something like that and then I as a joke not joke you're set, testing the waters testing the waters said something like oh you know well I've got to watch out for those fart jokes now that I'm here or something like that and Alex was like do the fart jokes do the fart jokes. Or I guess he's like, he was a bit more, do the fart jokes. I don't know. Um, and he's like, and, and then he just said, oh, but they, they've just got to like, have some purpose. You know, don't just do a fart joke. It's got to have some purpose. And from that, I feel like he gave me license to just go for broke. And I have this great team that will tell me when a joke's not working. So we have, it's a very welcoming environment where I'll give it a go. We'll do it. And if, and the, the coded language is, it's not landing. So we use Google Docs and when it's highlighted, it's not landing or nicer ones. Are, uh, this isn't having the impact you wanted or something like that. Just means this is a bad joke, cut it out. So I think we have this like lovely supportive team that gives me the confidence to go overboard. So a big part of your show relies on talking to scientists and they're not necessarily comedians or actors or what have you, which other shows get to get to talk to. So they can, you need to find the right scientist is basically what I'm getting at. And uh, I wanna, who, who could talk on the radio and I wanna play another clip and this is from the abortion episode. And um, basically, um, if you, yeah, if you wanna go ahead and just give the general premise of of the abortion episode what were you trying should to you get on? one should you not um no there was are a safe are they safe yeah so that was it that was an episode that i guess was a bit of an odd one for science versus but we felt we had why odd uh because usually we the topics we tackle are something where you say where you'd say the word and then people have these these opinions these opinions based on truthiness um chiropractors is I mean some people have very strong opinions either way other people are like I don't know it's just allied health but organic food is a more obvious one oh I think it's bullshit no I think it's great you know but abortion is one where yeah the question it's a little bit more it's it's a little bit more complicated your relationship to it but yet we thought that we could do a science versus episode because we wanted to make it uh we thought that within the debate around abortion, particularly in America, there was a lot of coded language and a lot of misstatements about the science. And they were used in a very particular way to get a particular response. So whether it is people outside the front of an abortion clinic with a uh, a photo of a sort of fetus with limbs, um, you know, whether it was that or whether it was there are videos online that you can watch that with women saying an abortion was the best thing that ever happened to me. And you're like, well, I mean, I understand that, that the, the effect of it was great because you got to do these career things, but surely it's not the best thing that ever happened to you. Um, and so we had scientific questions that were, you know, what is the effect of getting an abortion? Does it increase your chances of depression? What are those photos? Are they real? Is that really what an abortion can look like? Um, and so that's what we that's what we dove into. And one scientist, and this was a great character that you and maybe Heather stumbled upon or Heather, found. Heather Rogers, our great Yeah, reporter. and she's both, uh, this character is both a scientist and while she hadn't had an abortion or she was not talking about her experience having an abortion, it was, it was just, she both was able to be a scientist and also play a different role, just like play a human being or, or a separate character. So this is the abortion clip. Mm-hmm. 
while Lisa does this on the reg, there are days that really stick out. She was about four months pregnant with her first child and she gave an abortion to a woman who was about as pregnant as she was. And while Lisa was performing the procedure, she felt her baby kick. It was one of the first times it had happened and she told Heather that it really took her by surprise. It was a feeling that I could feel a a fetus kicking, moving inside of me at the same time that I was removing a fetus. And it, it was something in that juxtaposition that was overwhelming and I just found myself kind of crying. How did you wipe your tears away? <laughs> like, Well, I couldn't because I had sterile gloves on and I was in the middle of a procedure. So they just rolled down my face. You never had that experience I never before. had that experience before. And part of it, um, as I think about it now, I think... I was so happy to be pregnant and so much wanted to be a mother. Um, and I remember feeling just so privileged that I could be a mother and that I would was getting ready with my family to welcome a child. And remember thinking how what it meant that not everybody could do that uh, for whatever reason. And remember just f- feeling fortunate. That was our reporter, Heather Rogers. Um, she found that uh, that practitioner um, and did this amazing interview with her. Uh, and it was it was a beautiful moment, yeah. And is that something that you're constantly, like, trying to strive for? Like, care, like scientists who are, who you know, who aren't just like, here are the facts and here's what, you know, like, who are able to peel back the curtain and be more emotional? And what kind of, how, how hard do you go to find that person and when do you stop and be like, well... We didn't find them for this episode. Like, that wasn't our Lisa. We got to just move on and put out an episode. Yeah, I think we're learning more and more as as the shows go on how important it is to find the right scientist. Um, and often I uh, – often we find that, you know, the this is a, this is a generalisation, so sometimes, you, you know, you're, you're, your amazing moment is where you have this – wonderful scientist who's responsible um who knows their facts and who can really tell you a story and can be a person in the room more often uh you find either this amazing talker who can really spin a yarn and like really laugh with you and then you fact check everything they've said and maybe 20 percent is actual fact Um, And then you have the responsible scientist who speaks kind of like a robot. Um, And and that is who often, yeah. So so, so we search for the the amazing, that amazing possibility, but sometimes it's just not there. Or sometimes we just don't find it because we don't have the time. Um, And then then we're kind of working out that actually the way people are responding to the show is that they – almost prefer the one who can tell the amazing yarn and then what that means though is that we have to we fact check everything doesn't matter if it comes out of a scientist or it comes out of my voice um but so often that will either mean that if we're a little bit you were a little bit cautious about the expert well they're a great talker but the science might not be great then we have to make sure we have the science in our like in our head or right in front of us before the interview so that we can get those great moments and then we can also fact check them in the room and then make sure they say the right science and then 
sometimes you do just have to go to the the person who's I mean I shouldn't I shouldn't say robot because obviously I like I reach out to those scientists all the time and and there's different skills and not everyone wants to be on radio and not everyone can tell a good story um but I think from the way people respond to the episodes whenever we use too much of a responsible scientist people just don't even hear the facts they're saying um, so if the purpose of the show is to deliver facts in in a way that people can remember and spread to their friends, then kind of the scientist that tells the yarn, I, I think, wins the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one thing your boss, Alex Bloomberg, I've heard him say this countless times, like audio is an emotion-based medium. So I feel like inherently your show, depending on how you structure it and how you produce it, could could come up against that, where it's just like, well, I'm, I'm making a show about facts and science and and not saying that they're devout of emotions but it's different than being like i'm going to talk to this person about their divorce or what have you like it's a absolutely i mean mean, it is they they are almost devoid of of emotions like they are right i mean facts can be and and a particular niche of the population loves that um but then there's a whole lot of people who are just just don't want to listen to it it feels like homework um, so you do have to bring some emotion, whether it's laughing or whether it is something kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, and I think that, that's what I'm learning more and more and that's what my team is definitely teaching me more and more, that's for sure. And you said the hardest part of making Science Versus is convincing people that you don't have an agenda. And talk a little bit more about that. Like, how, how does that present itself? Um, I think particularly when I first moved here and even now uh, in America right now, it's just, it does feel like a lot of the media has an agenda. I mean, I think a lot of the media does have an agenda. Uh, And so there is an expectation that if you have a platform, you have an agenda. And whereas for better or worse, uh, me personally, I don't have particularly strong opinions about things that I don't know about. Um, It's what makes the show possible. Um, I'm terrible at other things in life, but when it comes to issues I'm pretty good at knowing, oh, I actually don't know anything about that. I, I shouldn't be having an opinion and I just want to know the facts. But there is an ex- explicit expectation that if you are doing an episode on nuclear power, there's a reason. You like it, you don't like it, you know, and, and I think really, really showing people that, no, this is just the science. This is what it is. And we have listeners that really I think appreciate that and get that and that comes across um and then we have other listeners who say things like oh I love this episode but I hated this episode clearly you had an agenda and it's like oh it's clearly the same process like the same process of reading the science of fact checking goes through every single episode so maybe if you didn't like this episode maybe it's because you disagreed with it and you disagree with the facts that's what you tweet at them no no (laughs) it's already in my head that's what Sometimes, sometimes we tweet that at them. But. And so what, is there, are there things that you try to do to convince them otherwise? Like, have you thought about, for example, being like a disclaimer at the top of every episode, being like, this is, a, <laughs> this is, this is all factual and we've talked to 90 scientists, like show the process more, or I'm, I'm not saying like you open, should, open the but curtains. I'm, just, I'm, I'm curious if that was like a discussion. Yeah, we... Um... We have talked about that on particular episodes or episodes where, so say abortion. Abortion is an episode where everyone in our team, including me, were just, you know, obviously have a liberal mindset to that and just, you know, 
I, I, yeah, I believe that any woman who wants an abortion should be able to get one. Um, and so that was an episode where we were thinking, you know, should we say up front that, that, that this is the place where the team comes from? And then I thought that if there are any facts in that episode that do not have a clear citation, that are not scientific consensus, they shouldn't be in the episode, whether we, what we think or not. And so if we're, there should be no need for that, a statement like that, if we've got done our facts right. And I think the only thing that it would do is is harm the show. Because where do you draw the line, you know, um, about making statements like that? And and even like the episode wasn't even about should you be able to have one, but I guess implicit in all the questions of, you know, when does a fetus feel pain? What is, what's the effect on a woman who gets an abortion? Is this question of should you be able to go and should you not? Should you be able to get one? Um, and so I think ultimately I trust in our scientific process and what we're doing and that we're getting scientific consensus. And so I let that guide it. And that's why we've decided not to do that stuff. And you either kind of, you either trust us or you don't. No amount of, we've spoken to all these experts, we'll, we'll get someone on side if they don't trust us, I think. And do you have a sense of your listeners? Like on one hand, I could see the listener base being like, I'm a scientist, like I, I'm already in this, like this is my process and this show kind of gives me a peek into these scientists like I can't talk to these scientists but the show's talking to these scientists for me I just like enjoy fact-based journalism or or do you think the show is or do you get do you have a sense that the audience is are people who are like on the sidelines and they're like I went to this episode because I wasn't sure if I should have an abortion or like I didn't know how I felt about birth control or or is it a mix or do you have a clear sense of who the, are you preaching to the choir or are, do you feel like you're reaching outside some kind of bubble the choir yeah. are we getting out of the choir um we have no idea we i i don't think we we know who our twitter followers are that's um but that is such a niche group of people who are either super fans or like super hate listeners um which i think sometimes our show attracts uh, which is fine downloads a download <laughs> um and the so i yeah we, i don't know i mean i think I don't think we're changing minds, really. I mean, I think we might... For people who are on the fence, I think people do listen to the show when they're on the fence because they enjoy it and they want an arsenal for... Um, <laughs> someone described it the other day. But this was not... I didn't ask them for this, but okay. it came to me. Um, they, were like, they were listening to, like, a rough version of the show and they said, you know what, a cocktail party, I feel like I wouldn't have enough evidence to say either way. And I was like, all right, so that's what this show's doing. It's just giving, like, wankers arsenals at parties, and I'm happy with that. Because it's not wankers. It's people who have a vague opinion on something but don't actually know why, and then they want to be able to talk to someone about it. Um, and that's actually, that would be wonderful. It's, I shouldn't say wankers at all. It's, I, like, that would be wonderful if people, um, if people were listening to the show for that reason. But I, we have no data on, no real good data on why people listen. <laughs> And, and what they see in the show. Ideally, are you trying to target one audience versus the other? Or, I mean, ideally, we, we want to cross the divide. You know, We would love if someone listened to the show and their mind was changed. But I don't really have delusions of grandeur like that. Uh, this might not apply to you because you said you're, if you don't have an opinion on something, you, you just go to research the fact. But was, I'm curious, what was the last time that you changed your opinion on something? scientific based oh, okay withdrawal as a method of birth control 
<laughs> well, what's, what do you mean by withdrawal as a method of pulling <laughs> out before you come? That, yeah, that's what I that's, was. <laughs> um, that that was your most recent episode. That was our most recent episode. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that was one where I assumed that was a really bad method of birth control, um, which it, it imperfect use, so not pulling out in time, um, has, a, has a 20% failure rate. That's not good, one in five. Um, but the best scientific estimates suggest that pulling out always in time gives you a 4% failure rate, which some studies compare to the condom. And I was... Um, like compared to perfect use on the condom. Anyway, yeah, and the science isn't perfect because as we spoke to this wonderful uh, gynecologist and she was like, how am I supposed to know, you know, what made this woman pregnant, free cum or regular cum? Um, <laughs> which I was like, science is hard. Um, but that was a definite, that was a definite surprise. Um, so if you Google your name, the second thing that comes up is this video and the title is People Want Facts. Granted, that was two years ago. Oh. But I feel like, if anything, 2017 has showed us that like facts oftentimes don't matter. Um, and how, yeah, as, as a science-based journalist, like, how, I don't know, how do you feel living in America in this era? Like, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it bogs you down or it's not something that you think about or, or, or your show is your way to combat the culture and the climate that we live in. I don't have any good data on this, mm-hmm. I feel like I have to say. But I... I think that there are still a lot of people in the middle. I think we hear a lot about the extremes and the extremes allowed. Um, but I still think, and the fact that the show is is pretty popular shows that there are still a lot of people in the middle who are just living life. They're not angry on Facebook. They're just like living life and want to be as healthy as possible and as happy as possible. And they want to know what the best science tells them about these things. Um, and, and I think those people at the heart want to know the facts. I don't know where that middle is and what percentage of the population want to know the facts. But I think people do want to know the truth at the heart of it. It's just, it, it just feels so hard right now for some people to trust various corners of the media and it feels so easy right now to form a little bubble on the internet and find your internet friends and get angry and create conspiracy theories that feels that's super easy and comforting and it's kind of even a little bit fun because it's like the cool kids in high school you know that's kind of what the culture of the internet feels like whether you're you know on whatever side you're on it feels like this like oh and then they did this thing and it's like we're fucking adults dude like this is insane um but then there's just a lot of people who just they're in the middle i think I think, and they're not interesting stories for the news. Headline, people in the middle want to know things that aren't lies. Um, <laughs> you know, that's not an interesting story and we don't hear about them, but I think they exist. And this is like very fresh on my head, so it might not, it might not go anywhere, but... Um, um, <laughs> Tell me about it, it's like me for the last hour. Um, so I, I saw Ira Glass talked at Third Coast in November in Chicago, and his last point of the night was basically like it's it's a war. Like he had all these like slideshows, and the last slide was like it's war. And basically, what he was talking about was how the right is actively engaging in a war against facts, and how like 
not even liberal media, how just like regular media doesn't view it that way. Like the, the left, the right is actively like setting traps and trying to entrap journalists or just like coming out with conspiracy theories and reporting them as fact, like Breitbart as an example, or even Fox News and how maybe we as fact-based journalists, because he was like speaking to a room of 800 based facts-based journalists um, should think of it that way. And I just, with prepping for this interview, I kind of thought like, I feel like science reporters have always maybe known that and, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong because you're, you're kind of like, there are climate change deniers, you know, and that's our, you know, that's the president of the United States or like that's the second, that's like the biggest party in America right now. They're like, generally speaking, they have a climate denying platform. So I, it just, by prepping for this research, I realized like, oh, maybe scientists were always aware of that fact. And maybe they're constantly trying to combat non-facts, and and I don't know. Maybe there's like a teachable lesson from 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 the science community, like because they've been reporting with that mindset for so long. Maybe there isn't. Maybe there's something there. But yeah, that's something I was thinking about while prepping for this interview. Yeah, I think I don't. I'm, I don't. I don't read a lot of politics now at all. Mm-hmm. At all, really. Um, so I don't know. I don't know the minutia of the right, mm-hmm. let's put it that way. Um, from my perspective of doing science versus where we're not covering political reporting. So I think it, it's, a, it's a bit of a different story. I mean, we do guns and we do abortion um, and birth control, which is now because everything's... Pol- and climate change. <laughs> and climate change. So we, we do touch that, but a lot of it is... Um, is I guess what what you would call agnostic to the left or the right, you know, chiropractors. If anything, that is a um, that is a joy of the left um, <laughs> because it's alternative medicine. It's uh, you know, it's this this mindset of um, you know, and for a long time, chiropractors have been in cahoots with anti vaccination, and we did vaccination this this year, and um, and anti vaxxers often align with the left, and so. For some topics, you actually tend to see just extremists on both sides getting it very wrong. And so I think that's something that I'm continuing to learn. But I think it is different in the political sphere where, you know, there's all this, like, dumb shit going on. I don't, I don't, I don't even want to speak about that. But I know, I know that when it comes to, like, science conspiracy theories that get spread around, you know, because... Because climate change is so big and so important right now and it's the right that's shitting on climate change, uh, it feels like the right are the worst offenders. But you could find bad offenders on the left as well. Going off of that, um, I feel like the last time... So you, you express that, you know, you live in New York City, you express some, like, liberal views when it comes to abortion and what have you. And, and um, do you ever find yourself in a position among your liberal friends, I feel like this kind of stems from the last thing that you said, where you're kind of just as annoyed as being like, well, no, that's not what the science said. Oh, absolutely. So, so, yeah, I, I felt that way. Yeah. It's funny because like, like being at one point during college part of the radical community, I feel like they get most things right, or at least most things right according to my views. But recently, I feel like the last thing where I majorly changed my view, thanks to like a New Yorker article and a New York Times article about GMOs. I'm like, wait, GMOs are... That's everything. <laughs> everything is GMO, but I feel like I can't say that to like most of my friends. That's right. And I just that's... have to like be mum in the quiet at, the, at a party. You know, I just be like, oh, 
yeah, GMOs are bad. <laughs> I don't know. So like, do you are you constantly in that position where you're like want to say something to your friends or family members or just at a party in New York City and you're like, I say it. I mean, people know that I say it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we we did an episode on GMOs. That's that is another example. Um, yeah, absolutely. I feel like I, I call it like the Margaret Thatcher moment. It's like where I feel like the Margaret Thatcher in the room. Um, yeah, absolutely. You, you find that. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Like everyone's got their truthiness. Everyone's got those things that they just think are so true um, and that they haven't tested them and they don't know really for sure. They just have these strong opinions about them. So you're not fun at parties. <laughs> Constantly correcting people. <laughs> I can dance and stuff. So I'm not, true, I'm not talking when I'm dancing. <laughs> Wendy, thank you for coming on tape. Thanks for having me. Having trouble telling how I feel, but I can dance, dance, dance. Couldn't possibly tell you how I mean, but I. Thank you so much to Wendy Zuckerman for coming on the show. You can check out her podcast at Science Versus. And I want to give a special shout out to Jennifer Keeney Sendro. Jennifer is the executive producer of The Green Space at WNYC, and she's the one who organized this event and invited me and Wendy to sit on stage at The Green Space to have this conversation. Thank you, Jennifer. And thank you for listening. One last reminder, if you want to support the show, you could do that at patreon.com slash tape radio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash tape radio. And if you want to reach us, you could find us on Twitter at tape radio. We'll be back soon with another episode. <laughs>